This is the Women Your Mother Warned You About podcast, sponsored by Sales Gravy. I'm Gina Tremarco, Master Sales Trainer and Director of Coaching Programs at Sales Gravy. Before we get started with this week's episode, I want you to go and check out Sales Gravy University. Sales Gravy University is the place where sales professionals and sales leaders from across the globe go to learn and upscale. And right now, if you're a brand new user and you've never used Sales Gravy University before, you can get your first course for free by using coupon code free course when you go to learn.salesgravy.com. That's coupon code free course when you go to learn.salesgravy.com. And hey, I've got several courses there that you can check out. So I hope to see you there. But let's go ahead and get started with this week's episode. Who makes the best car salesperson? Well, there's a couple of things, right? You mentioned car salespeople have a bad reputation and it's earned. There's no doubt. There's no doubt the bad reputation is earned. And frankly, my father did some really shady stuff, you know, back in the day. I've always said with pride that I'm a car salesperson. I'm not a yeah. sleazeball, right? I've never right, cheated right. anybody. And, you know, one core concept that I believe in over any other in the car sales industry and really any sales industry is always operate out of the customer's best interest. And if you operate out of the customer's best interest, you will in turn operate out of your own. Welcome to the women your mother warned you about. Uh, I'm super excited, Joe, to have you here today for several reasons. Uh, welcome, Joe Caruso, to the show. Uh, I welcome you because you're Italian. <laughs> I welcome you. Uh, <laughs> I welcome you because you've you've taken courses with me at Sales Gravy University, and you had me at you had me at the phrase neuroselling. And well, you actually, you had me at telling me that you mentioned me in your book, right? <laughs> Talk about stroking my ego. Right. Um, but I, I really wanted to, I was so curious about what you're doing and thank you so much for taking classes at Sales Gravy and, and immersing yourself in that. But I just, I'm really interested in you in general and I don't even know where to begin. So um, I think I'm going to begin with um, introduce yourself to our listeners. We've got a bio. I hate reading people's bios, but just give us a, a quick snapshot of who you are, Joe Caruso. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Um, and, I, you know, I could talk shop all day long. So appreciate you having me here. It's giving me that outlet. I love I work by myself. So sometimes I get cooped up in this office way too <laughs> yeah. long. So now I got another human being to talk to. So I love it. <laughs> Um, so thank you for having me on here. Um, I come from an automotive sales background. My dad was an automotive dealer. I have two older brothers that are automotive dealers. I sold my first car when I was nine years old. Stop it. True story. You know, when kids were little and they wanted to be firefighters and, and policemen and astronauts, I was running around saying, hey, I want to be a car salesman. There was nothing I've ever wanted to do in my life other than be a car salesman. And so, uh, you know, I, at 17 years old, I got into the business full time. And up until uh, I am now 48, up until about three years ago, that's what I did as a profession. I was an automotive salesperson, uh, held the ranks all the way up to general manager. I owned dealerships uh, for a short period of time. Uh, I've had a tremendously successful career at that, but what I found my real passion being is I love salespeople. 
I love helping salespeople. I love watching them grow. I love helping them get on the right path to be successful and achieve whatever it is they want, whether it's being the top salesperson or moving into management or even owning dealerships. So whatever I could do to help people become more successful is really what at this point in my life made, made my life worth living. And so I decided to step out of the retail side of the business and get into the training side of things. I love it. And you are CEO and founder of Do It Today. Can you tell us a little bit more about what Do It Today means? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of self-explanatory. You know, other, you know, stop putting things off, you know. And so through my sales career and really when I got into management, I put together this program that I called Do It Today. um, And we each employee had what's called a DIT sheet, right? A Do It Today sheet. And it Mm -hmm. gave them all of their tracking numbers. So it showed them where they were at for a month, um, where they were headed, uh, how that compared to what their goal was for the month. And then it had a list of all the daily things that they should be accomplishing. And so throughout the system, what it allowed me to do is I gave these to my managers. My managers gave them to their salespeople. At the end of shift, each manager was required to review what their salespeople had done for the day. And then I was, I sat down with my managers, typically was the next day because our business closed at really late at night. I wasn't always there at that time. And I would review with my managers what their team did for the day. And then we'd figure out how we could improve. And really it it, it was a foundation of, we couldn't fail by doing this. We, Mm -hmm. I've never failed at any job I've ever done. Uh, I've never missed a sales target in any dealership I've ever worked at. And I've grown hundreds, if not thousands of salespeople into what they want, putting this do it today system in place. And uh, it became, you know, a mantra of mine and I've expanded upon it. And so, so I didn't, couldn't come up with a better uh, name for my company. I, I love it. I love it. Um, do you have t-shirts? I see the t-shirt you're wearing says shut up. That's all I see. It says shut up and listen. Shut up and listen. I love it. Okay, awesome, right? So um, that goes hand in hand in what we do in the improv piece of it, right? That's one of our improv tenants. Well, yeah, it, it's the funniest thing is when I got these shirts made, it was one of the first things I did when I started my company. I needed to get myself some motivation because I was taking this leap into yeah. being known. And, and I get stopped every single day I wear this shirt out in public. Someone says, oh my God, I love your shirt. I know I need one. You have to send me a shirt along with the book. Yeah. Well, the book should be to you any day now. However, okay. I'll be more than happy to send you a shirt as well. But the funniest thing about this shirt, right, and this mantra is everybody thinks that I'm saying, hey, shut up and listen to me. But that's not the concept. I mean, right. granted, I think I know what I'm talking about. But really, the concept is shut up and listen to your customer. If you shut up and listen to your customer after asking the right questions, they will tell you everything you need to know to sell them. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Well, let's let's roll that into neuroselling. So you've written two books. You've written 99 Objections, but Closing Ain't One. I want to talk about that. But let's let's talk about neuroselling. There's a variety of things here I'm fascinated with. Um, you wrote it in 60 days. You're my hero because I'm tired of talking about getting my book written. Um, that's where I need to really start getting better at setting intentions. Uh, and it's over 300 pages, but let's talk a little bit about 
neuroselling and understanding your customer. Can you tell us more about that book? Side note, real quick, I'll jump right into this. If you want to write a book really fast, yeah, or you even want to finish it, just write every day. Write every day. Doesn't matter what you write about. Doesn't that even have to. So have easy, to Joe. Uh, your particular <laughs> book topic. It was one of the things I've done over the last, you know, three years. I've been creating content. Is I just write every day, and I throw the, whether it's a blog post or an article or something I want to learn about later. If I take a class and there's some really cool stuff in it, I write about it, and then now I get to go and hit that database of all of my writings yeah. and start organizing it to, to, to knock a yeah. book out. So all just right, kind Joe. of a little side note there. I like that, Joe. Joe, how much time a day should I write? It doesn't, not long, 10 minutes, okay. 20 minutes. Right. You know, it depends on how fast you write. You know, I'm a, I absorb knowledge. It's, I feverishly, I, I read, yeah. I read articles, I read blog posts, I do trainings, all that stuff. And then when I get it, I hear a concept. I don't care if it's an email. I get it sent an email. I'm like, hey, wait a second. Why did I open this email? It's terrible. It was the subject line. Let me write that subject line down because if it yeah. worked on me, it's going to work on someone else. Yeah. Good and point. now I've got a new something new to talk about somewhere. Good, good point, Joe. You just gave me a whole bunch of new ideas. Just what I need, more ideas. Right. <laughs> but if you write them down, eventually you can go back and get them. Right. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And that kind of goes along with the 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 neuro selling side of things, right? I am by far not a scientist, right? And, and the neuro you know, really kind of people initially start to think, oh, that's the si the science of it. I got a book uh, that was actually about the science of selling, and I got it on audio. I listened to it for about four minutes, and it was the most boring thing I'd ever heard in my life. I'm like, oh my god, this is just the science side of it is way too dry, right? Yeah. So you got to get something fun in there to yeah. make the content work. So I call it the art, yeah. mostly art, some science of getting yeah. what Yeah, right? I love it. That's what we're really trying to do. So to me, the, the science of it really comes to, if you know your audience, doesn't matter what your audience is, right? It could be your spouse, could be coworkers, could be somebody you're trying to sell, right? But if you want to get what you want out of them, the better you know that person, right? The more you control the environment you're in by asking the right specific questions to get mm -hmm. the answers you're looking for, the better chance you have of getting what you want. And really that's the foundational side to me about neuroselling. Mm -hmm. Right. It's taking information and processing that information and using it to get what you want. So we know that, you know, having really good questions, asking really good questions is going to lead you down that path. But, Joe, let's face it, some salespeople just suck at asking questions. And part of that is, I don't know, are they just just not aware of what's going on around them that they don't ask good questions? Well, this, once again, this kind of goes back to that practice, that improv kind of thing. One thing that I specialize in, and if you, if my book had gotten to you on time, you may have noticed this, is my closing book is 469 pages, which I say that with my chest puffed out because that's a big <laughs> right. Yeah. But about 350 of those pages are word tracks. They're scripts. 
Love it. I, I, I'm such a big, firm believer in scripts. And I get, you know, I get every excuse in the book from salespeople why they don't want to read scripts. Oh, they made me sound robotic. They're not natural, blah, blah. Just excuse after excuse after excuse. And really, their excuse is because those salespeople don't want to take the time to learn the scripts. Right. And I'm all, I, I always ask them, I say, hey, have you ever watched a movie? Well, yeah. What's your favorite movie? Guess what? That was scripted. Doesn't matter what movie it was. Right. And you could say, oh, well, you know, some of the best scenes ever were improvised. Sure. But not by an amateur. Well, and here's here's the other thing, Joe, and, and you've taken some improv with me. Um, improv is improvised. However, because, you know, I won't say but it, there is a framework in improv. And a lot of people don't realize that there's a framework to it. There are a variety of different types of improv frameworks also known as we call them games and it's a specific game that we're playing on stage based on the audience so it's not necessarily a script as much as it is a framework when you know the framework to follow then you can get a little bit loose with your wording so as much as I, I agree with you on having those scripts wouldn't you also agree that sometimes there's salespeople who are too scripted and don't know how to get off the script to sound natural. Well, that's the practice side of things, right? Yeah. And that's it. And once I totally agree that there's framework, right? So I, there's no doubt about that. But the more you practice it, the more natural it comes off, the more you can adapt to your audience, right? So it's about putting in that practice, getting that repetition, getting used to it, having multiple uh, tools in your tool belt to follow the process, right? Like to follow the framework and to get to your destination. But it has to start with something, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and the frameworks, like in my 99 Objections book, right? It's not just a script, right? It gives you a script, an answer from a customer, why the customer should give you that answer. And if they don't, what you either did wrong. Oh, I love it. Or... What to do next? Because you're going off that off that path, right? So it's not a lot. Even where a lot of scripts say, "Okay, here's a script, follow it." Oh well, they didn't answer yes. Now what? Well, now you got to understand why they didn't answer yes, and yeah. how to either get back on or go a different direction. I'm a, I'm a visual person, Joe, so I see this infographic like <laughs> in my mind of like. You go, you know what I'm talking about? If they say no, go here. If they say yes, go here. If they say yes, go here. If they say no, go there. That's what I'm seeing. And, and, if, and if you have that infographic, so let's take that as an example, right? And you're trying to read off of that. You are going to sound robotic. You are going to sound yeah. unnatural. Right. But if you know how to practice each one of those paths. Right. You won't, right? So I, I, I live off of mo another mantra of, you know, Amateurs practice until they get it right. Professionals mm -hmm. practice until they can't get it wrong. Exactly. And yeah. that's where I want people to be, right? And that's where, I, that's, that's, so that's a, a really core foundational philosophy for everything that I do is you got to be committed to practice. And if you're not, what I'm saying isn't going to work. You're going to go try it one time. You're going to be terrible at it. You're going to fail and then say, I don't know what I'm talking about. Well, it's funny, you know, for years, um, I owned a theater for 12 years, right? And I had, um, got, I, I cycled through hundreds of improv performers and thousands of students. 
And whenever I would say uh, we, we're running an improv practice tonight, you know, the average person would be like, improv practice, those two don't even go together. And I'm like, yes, they do. It's like, what are you practicing? Because it's not like we have a script that we're doing, but we're practicing the art of listening. We're practicing paying attention. We're practicing to the cues from the audience, practicing the observation of human behavior. And that's what helps us improvise. Isn't that all sales though? I mean, think about it, right? Yeah, I mean, you exactly. I love the one of the things you, you said to me, and I just love it, is uh, practice the art of listening. Everybody's like, I can hear everything. I hear great. I got 20-20 hearing. And it's like, no, that's not a thing, right? Because too many salespeople want to just sit there and talk or talk over their customer, interrupt their customers, right? Start formulating their responses mm-hmm. prior to the customer even finish talking so they... The salesperson stops listening as soon as they start thinking about what they want to say. And you're shot down before you even start. Joe, you know what I call that? I don't know if I ever said this in the class you took with me. I call it uh, listening to the voices in your head. <laughs> I've never heard that. I love right? it. Like you're, The voices, if you're listening to the voices in your head, you're probably a little crazy, right? <laughs> so, but that's what they're listening to. They're listening to their own inside narrative. And they can't focus on the other person talking. Right. No, that, that's totally. And we all do it, right? I'm just as guilty of it. But yeah. I, like try, I like to try to catch myself doing it. And then I same here. You know, smack myself in the, in the head. So, you know, pay attention. Stop. You'll have your time. Right. And then this is where that practice and that improv and that yes and, that yes and buys you that second you need yeah. to go and access that information that you're looking for. Right. And so that really brings, you know, once again, where this improv stuff really comes into it's sales. It's so sales. Oh, well, I'm, you know, of course, I'm biased to all of that. So so thank you for that. Um, I'm just dying to know I it's it's sitting in my head. So I'm listening to voices in my head about nine year old Joe Caruso. I, I have to go back to that because it's sticking in my head. I need to know how you sold your first car at nine. Yeah, sure. Of course. No, I, it's, it's one of those things where it's actually, I write about it in narrow selling book, how, you know, you get known by some things, you know, so I've told this story thousands of times because it's sure. something interesting. So not a lot of people can say it, right? I don't know anyone else that can. And then I'll find other people introducing me as, Hey, welcome Joe Caruso. He sold his first car and he was nine years old. Right. Yeah, and then I'm like, I okay, it. I guess I got to tell that story. Right. So um, my, I, like I mentioned at the beginning, my father was a car dealer and I idolized my dad. I, I mean, there was, you know, if your dad was a baseball player or a football player, you know, the kids grow up to do that. I grew up wanting to be a car salesman because, you know, I idolized my dad, even yeah. as, as a young kid and, and being in the automotive industry, especially back, you know, in the eighties and seventies and, and whatnot, they worked six, seven days a week. I mean, it was yeah. long hours. And so there wasn't a lot of father-son time. And, you know, one of the things that I did is every weekend I went to my dad's work, you, you know, and, and, and I got to know all the car sales people and, you know, I got to hang out with my dad and, you know, it was, I loved it. I mean, I, I, you know, before the age of 17, I started to work at a car dealership. I probably spent thousands of hours at a car dealership before that. Cause I, I just went there all the time with my dad and it was something that was really special and, and at being, you know, nine years old, uh, idolizing, idolizing my father, you know, he had a demo car that he got to drive. So I knew everything about that car. 
I knew every spec and plus in the eighties, cars were a lot more simple than they are today. So you could know a lot, yeah. of, you could lo- know a lot about a, a car without it being overwhelming for a little kid. And so, uh, my dad owned a Toyota dealership in Oakland, California. I don't know if you know much about Oakland, California, but right now, you know, everywhere has its good and its bad places, but you know, uh, in today's climate, it's not necessarily the safest place in the world. Right. Yeah. Right? So imagine this, I'm nine years old. My, the, my dad's dealership opened at about 10 o'clock in the morning. We, my dad would get there like eight. I never understood why he got there so early before everything opened until I started running my own business. <laughs> and then I realized how much you could get done in that time. Uh-huh. So I'm, I'm there, he's opening up. There's not another person in sight. And all of a sudden this guy walks up to the, to my dad's car. And so I'm just a curious kid that wants to talk to people, you know? And so off I go and I just start talking to this guy. So me and this guy are chopping it up about this car. It was a 1984 Toyota Celica Supra. And we're having conversations and the guy's getting really excited about this car because I'm super enthusiastic because I know everything about this car. I don't know how to do any investigating or anything like that, but I'm faking it because I'm enthusiastic. Eventually, after a little bit of time, guy goes, hey, I want to take it for a test drive. So I go tell my dad, I go, hey, he wants to go on a test drive. He said, go with him. (laughs) So, well, which I won't let my son walk three blocks to school. I was just going to say back in the day, we could get away with that. Right. right? So, but you know, that's what I'm saying in Oakland, California, nine-year-old kid off on a test drive going, you know, see you dad. Right. And (laughs) off we go, we go, we go driving. And, and by the time we get back to the dealership, the other salespeople had started to arrive and things like that. And the guy goes, I love this car. I want it. So I got partnered up with a a, a salesperson that knew what he was doing. (laughs) It went over figures. The guy paid full MSRP and the rest is history. Wait, I want to back up a second. You partnered up with a guy who knew what he was doing. And I think that's a really important phrase because who knew what he was doing, right? And here's the difference between the art of a conversation and a relationship and the science of the logistics behind the deal, right? Because when you say you partner up with a guy who knew what he was doing, you already closed the deal. Yeah, it was all process and paperwork. Yeah, it was uh, all that, process that, that and paperwork, all... right? It was all the, tra- it was, it's the transaction, mm-hmm. right? It's the transaction of it, but it's you who closed the deal, right? And why do you think that is? Well, what, once again, it, it, you know, it came from my enthusiasm, my excitement, you know, yeah. actually, you know, in the neuroselling book, you know, it's a big thing I talk about is when, especially if you're just starting out in sales, you're not going to, you're going to fail a lot, right? But, and don't be afraid to go learn from someone else that's already made those mistakes, right? In the automotive industry, uh, typically, you know, if you get someone else involved, you end up getting what's called a half deal or a split deal where you guys share the commission yeah. and you yeah. move on. But a lot of a lot of salespeople don't want to get someone else involved because of their ego. And because and because of their greed. Well, it, but they also don't want they would rather earn zero commission than a half commission and admit, hey, someone else could close a customer I couldn't. Which makes no That's sense just to me. Stupid. But it I, happens every day. I, we, you know, at Sales Gravy, we don't operate that way. And we love to get each other involved because if, if I can help someone close or they can help me close, we all win. And even if you just learn something from it. Right. Right. Or let's say I, I help you close a deal, but you don't take any of it. 
Maybe I help you close yeah, the next exactly. one and I don't take any of it. Exactly, exactly. But this goes back to, again, back to improv and the art of collaboration. Mm-hmm. Right? It, it's about the, the collaborative approach. And then if you look at what we talk about at Tales Gravy with love, uh, reciprocity, right? It's it's that hand-in-hand kind of attitude that that takes you to the finish line. Yeah, no, it, it totally, you know, and that's where, you know, team environments uh, are critical. Uh, you know, there's competition is good. I, I'm not going to say competition is not good, but not cutthroat competition. Yeah. Right. You I want agree. everybody working together towards the same goal. And, you know, that's, that's, that's when you're going to fire on all cylinders, right? When you've got everybody moving forward towards the same goal and helping each other get there. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And of course, I am a huge advocate of something I call sell like a child. So <laughs> I think um, it's a course that um, I created many years ago that really brings you down the path of how children sell. And so going back to, again, nine-year-old Joe, when I said, you know, why do you think that is, right? That enthusiasm, that's one of the five things I talk about is that enthusiasm and excitement and that, you know, there's a contagion to that, that attracts people. Like if you're excited and enthusiastic and curious, they're going to jump on board with you. Well, I I think you hit the second point. I don't know if I've seen the cell of a child thing, but it's that inquisitiveness, right? That curiosity, right? Yeah. It's the why, the why, the why, the why, the why, right? why, 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 why. Right? And then it, it's amazing. It, it, I, I've heard this before. You know, when you're, when you're a child, you know, you think, Hey, I'm going to be president. I'm going to be uh, an astronaut. I'm going to be, and, and then everything's why, why, why I want to take all this information in. Mm-hmm. And somehow along the path to an adult that leaves you. Or oh at yeah. Least leaves most people. Have you, have you been in my creative selling course? I, I'm not a hundred percent sure. I do not think so. I think I signed up for it and then I, I had to miss Maybe. it. Maybe. Okay, Cause I taught in that course, I talk about the, the science behind that of creativity and how we're actually born creative geniuses. And then it gets beaten out of us. I didn't slowly. want to say that. <laughs> it, do- it gets beaten, literally beaten out of us at age five. You're 98% genius, born genius by age 15. It goes to 12%. And by the time you're an adult, it goes to 2%. It is literally beaten out of, it is unlearned. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree with that more, even without any, uh, you know, backup line, because it, it, especially I'm an old man, I'm four, 48 <laughs> years old, but I have a five-year-old and a two-year-old as well <laughs> as, as well wow. as a 16 year old. But, you know, I got these little kids at home and it's amazing how much I learn from them. Yeah. And it's through that creativity. It's through that inquisitiveness, um, that curiosity that I learn dang near every day from them. Well, that, that's why I like being either be surrounded by children. Um, I'm like a big child. Um, like the kid in me is just there. And I think that's what um, helps me from a selling perspective because of the curiosity and the why. I want to talk, I want to talk about selling cars because it doesn't have the best reputation, right? Like it's got a stereotype behind it, but I'll be honest with you. A couple years ago, like when things at the beginning of COVID, when they were really bad, I was like, 
several people tried to recruit me. My entire career, people have tried to recruit me into sales. And um, at the beginning of COVID, um, I got recruited by both both New York Life tried to get me to sell insurance and several car dealers were like wanting me to come sell. And when I heard the kind of money that they make, I'm like, heck yeah, I could go do that. Like, they're like, no, we want a woman like you, like you would like crush it. Right. But there was a part of me that was like, I don't know if I want to be called a sales, a car salesperson, but I would love to hear your perspective about who makes the best car salesperson. Well, there, there's a couple of things, right? Car, you mentioned car salespeople have a bad reputation and it, it's, it's earned. There, there's no doubt. There's no doubt the bad reputation is earned. And frankly, my father did some really shady stuff, you know. <laughs> Uh, back in the day. I mean, it's car, let's just for a second, car salespeople are what give salespeople the bad name. To some degree. I mean, yeah, a got, little bit. Got some stockbrokers that have helped. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it, it, it depends on, you said a keyword, my perspective, right? I, yeah. I, I've always said with pride that I'm a car salesperson, right? I'm not yeah. a sleazeball, right? I've never right, cheated right. anybody. And, you know, one core concept that I believe in over any other in the car sales industry and really any sales industry is always operate out of the customer's best interest. And if you operate out of the customer's best interest, you will in turn operate out of your own. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and it's that perspective that has actually led me to be successful in my careers because I've been able to go into dealerships, change that mindset yeah, and take away some of the greed, take away some of the all about me attitude, right? And make it about the customer, right? And, and showing people how successful you can be when you are customer focused and then have this humongous amount of success. And so I think, you know, that's first and foremost, you know, uh, I was just telling this story a couple of days ago at a dealer meeting I was at. One of the dealerships that I ran, you know, we had this board that whenever a customer came in, you put their information on it. And one of the uh, fields on it was their location. And I looked up on the board and we had this customer that we sold a car to that was like 300 miles away from us. And there had to be 200 dealerships between us and them. Right. They didn't buy some super special ad car that was super discounted or anything like that. So I was curious. I'm like, why did they come here? So I went out and asked them. I just went out and introduced myself as the general manager, thanked them for their business. I said, Hey, I got to ask what caused you to drive 300 miles to come and see us. And they're like, you're the only five star rated dealer. I'm not going to mention the brand in California. So we wanted you to have our business that just is a testament to what people will do when they believe in you, right? And they believed in us because Yelp said we were the best out there and they were willing to travel all this way just to buy a common car, nothing special, at no special discount because of the trust factor that was there. Well, yeah, right. So that that's the key no matter what you're selling, right? So I, I kind of poked at you a little bit on this, you know, the reputation, but in general, salespeople can have a bad reputation because uh, we know that, again, going back to neuroscience, uh, as humans, we're, we're afraid to be taken advantage of, right? There's, there's all that fear 
that goes into it. And we're looking for some kind of social proof, some kind of recommendation, something that's going to give us a, a, a sense of it's okay to leap. And I, I tell this story all the time about when I bought my car that I currently am driving, which is a Kia Sorento. And I am so loyal to that dealership because of the guy who sold me the car. To this day, right? People, people are like, you're just trying to, you're just trying to make the hundred dollar referral, right? Because <laughs> I can get a hundred dollar referral, but I usually forget to mention that I can get a hundred dollar referral. Like I forget, like I don't even think about it. Um, because I love this salesperson so much from the day I walked in. And I think you'll appreciate this story because I was the fearful woman buying a car. And I hate doing that, of having to do that. And that goes back to my. Italian dad, you know, he did, you know how you say you grow up wanting to be like your dad, white, you know, my dad might've been doing things that were not legal, but I always had the things I needed like cars. Right. And usually those cars were handed to me from somewhere where I don't know where they came from. <laughs> what truck they fell off of. <laughs> exactly. But when my dad passed and I had to go buy my first car, that was terrifying for me because I didn't have them with me. And that's right when Saturn started. And I'm sure you remember that because they had this like no haggle kind of I'm like, that's the car I'm going to buy, which was a really interesting marketing approach because I flocked to that concept as a woman. But now years later, and as a salesperson getting better at negotiating, and I had to go in and, and buy a new car, I did all my homework. I read all the consumer reports. I went through everything like, what do I want? I knew I was going to buy an SUV. It was going to be the first SUV purchase. I did all my homework and I narrowed it down to Kia. And then someone had recommended go see the salesperson at Kia. And I went in there. And I'm like, I am not getting taken advantage of. Right. And I was like, I went marching in and I'm like, all right. This is what I'm looking for. Kia Sorento this year, what, you know, whatever, like this year or this year, like I gave them the years. I'm like, this is what I want in it. This is the color I want. These are all the things that have to be in it. This is the mileage I want, this or less. Like I literally like, and this is the money I want to spend. I have a checkbook. I'm ready to buy, right? Like literally that's how I showed up to the salesperson. He's like, okay. He's like, Let's go walk the lot, right? And we walk the lot and he's like, what about this? I'm like, not the color I want. What about, nope, right? Like we went around and around, couldn't find anything. And he's like, okay. I said, I'm going to Cadillac next. They were number two on my list. Just so you know, I'm buying a car this week. I got, he called me in 24 hours with exactly what I wanted used because I wanted to use he managed to talk some little couple <laughs> into selling their car back to them. And they were from Ohio and I'm in South Carolina. Called me. He's like, I got your car. I'm like, I, this guy, I will keep him forever. And for years, I've had a relationship with him. And a couple years ago, I, I broke down in, um, at the parking lot for my vet with my two dogs in the car and I'm stranded. And I, I call service because I'm like, maybe I can get towed. I was not that far from the dealership. Of course, it was 601. They closed at six. So I call the sales floor and I'm like, any chance Tim is there? And sure enough, he was. He gets on the phone. I tell him what's going on. He's like, could it be your battery? I'm like, I have no idea. I'm just stranded here with two dogs. And he goes, you know, I'm a sales guy. I don't know how to fix them. 
but I'll come out with jumper cables. And he left the floor. He came, he jumped the car. It was the battery, got me back to the dealership, left my car there overnight to get a new battery. And I tell this story because this is what makes him stand apart from every salesperson, regardless of car or industry like that. I will continue to buy Kia. Well, and once again, that there's, there's another core concept here, right? This is, you know, he does what other people won't do. He differentiates himself, stand, stood out, right? I mean, there's, you know, went the extra mile to call the, get the car from the other people. I mean, none of that, none of what he did co- actually cost him a dollar. It was right. all his, his work ethic, right? Right. And this is something that every salesperson in any industry could control similar things to that, right? Create that kind of relationship, create that kind of experience. And I would imagine as long as you felt you were getting a fair deal, when the, anything you bought from him in subsequently, you didn't haggle as much. No, and I'm actually, you know, I haven't made the next purchase yet because part of that reason is, you know, um, COVID and what's available and all the things. And I do service my car there all the time. Um, Although I will say that's become a huge challenge just getting in for service. Like the last time I tried to schedule service, there was like a six week wait, which is, is what it is. Right. So I hate that. I have to actually, I say cheat on them, um, (laughs) which I have a whole other story about cheating on them with a Jiffy Lube, which is another quite the opposite story of what I get at Kia. But he and I have actually had conversations about this. Um, I'm like, oh, you know, you guys, your guys have been really good. They know I'm coming in for service and they're like, hey, um, want to talk about looking at some cars? I'm like, there, cause he's, he's a manager there. He's like, ah, I'd hold off if I were you. Why don't you just, he's like, wait it out. If, if the car is doing great, wait it out till we get through all these like supply issues. Like, again, he's telling me, don't buy. Yeah. Operating out of your best interest. Yep. Right. Yeah. Uh, and he's right. Now's the worst time in the world to buy a car. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, you know, if you can't, you, if you can uh, survive. Well, let me ask you this. Um, if now is the worst time to buy a car and I, and I'm assuming you're primarily working with, with dealers, correct? That's a big piece here. Part of why I'm moving into this neuro selling right? Is neuroselling is a book written to salespeople, not to car salespeople. Okay. And part of that is right now, uh, salespeople in the automotive industry are creating the worst relationships and the worst habits. And it's deplorable what's going on in the automotive industry from a customer service perspective, because they have such short supply you know, when things are running out and you tell people they can't have anything, that's all they want now. So people are yeah. rushing out to buy these cars at these exuberant prices. Yeah. And car dealers are too, most, not all, are so short-sighted that they're taking these short-term gains and they're really going to cost themselves in the long run with burning uh, some customers. And what's going to happen, like right now, I have a tough time getting some gigs with car dealerships because they're like, we don't have any cars to sell. The ones we do have are selling themselves and we're making all the money. So we don't need training. That, it, it, that's so short-sighted, Joe. You know, I was just having a conversation with a friend of mine just over the weekend and he goes, you know, 
we, we weather this storm, people in our industry, in this automotive sales training industry are going to flourish because they're creating such bad habits right now, um, through, through due to this short sightedness. And so, um, but I want, one of the things I learned is that selling, selling, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, you, some, like if you're still selling a house, you have a little bit of a different sales cycle. You have a little bit different price point, but you're still selling and, and same commonalities apply. So, and when I started first in car sales and I started training in car sales, all I did was learn from car sales training people. Yeah. But I exhausted most of those and most of that material. And then I started going outside of the industry. I'm like, Ooh, this industry has got some really good ideas. I learned the, the power of discovery really when I bought my second house from my real estate agent, the way they did their discovery, I was like, oh, this is on it. I need to get my salespeople doing this better because they'll just do that much better of a job. Um, and then I started looking at other industries and saying, hey, I could grab this, I could grab this. And then, you know, automotive sales transactions for all intensive purposes are the sec second largest to the first largest uh, investment someone will make personally in their life, you know, only second to typically a house. Yeah. And so if you can have the skill set to convince somebody to part with a significant amount of money in a short transaction cycle, I got to believe you, you can sell just about anything. So then taking some of the great things that are in a typical automotive sales process and then moving that into other industries. I think could be very beneficial. So I'm, I'm looking to kind of bridge that gap and bring some of the great things that I've done traditionally over the past 27 years in the automotive world to other industries to help other salespeople be more effective. I love it. And I think, I think the, the moral of this story for anybody listening is you can't be short-sighted, period, right? Um, regardless of what you're selling or, or what's going on in the economy, we know where, you know, chances are heading towards a recession. At least that's what everybody is saying at this time, but you can't be short-sighted. I, I work a lot with real estate and home builders and they've, you know, those, sometimes those salespeople have similar attitude. Like, you know, we're fine. We don't need training. We're good. We've, we've got more than, right. We, we, we don't have enough inventory and eventually that's going to come to an end right? Because everything's cyclical and they don't have the skills in place because they've just been fat and happy, right? Like they don't have to work hard to get the business. 100%. We'll agree 100% in, you know, the automotive industries facing that. Like you said, I think it's, we're going to see uh, combinations of it in other industries across as, as different, you know, chip manufacturing or logistics or yeah. uh, change. And so, you know, this is one of the reasons, like I said, I've really tried to broaden my horizon to um, just help as many people as I can, because that's why I got in this business in the first place. Well, that's awesome. Um, it's so great having you on the show. And I think a lot of people can learn from you. I mean, again, if you can sell a car <laughs> or you can sell a house, right? These big things that you convince people to part with their money. I think there's a lot to be said about that. And um, I know you're sending me, you're sending me um, your newest book, correct? 
Or you sent me the newest Guys, one? I sent you the 99 Objections book. Okay, cool. Um, narrow Selling Near- is going through editing, not design editing right now, getting it uh, formatted for publishing. I'm looking okay. to publish it somewhere between June 15th and June 30th. But you will get one of the very first preview copies. Fantastic. I can't wait to see that. Which book includes maybe a shout out to me? That'll be the new one, Neuroseller. So you're okay, cool. It'll be a shout out to you. I promise. <laughs> I, I'm going to make you read it though to find it. Uh, oh, that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. I will read it. I'm happy that uh, I can contribute to those who, to you, but also to, to your readers, right? Because this is what it's all about is helping salespeople be better salespeople and authentically doing that. So uh, kudos to you on that. Can't wait to read the new book. Can't wait to read the first book. Can't wait to get a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> T-shirt coming. And if, if our listeners want to get a hold of you and get their hands on your books, what is the best way to reach out to you, Joe? Uh, you know, I'm pretty accessible. So uh, I'll even throw my cell number out over there. Don't really Look at care. that. Do it. Um, so it's area code 925-570-5711. Like any good voicemail, you'll read that number twice. So that's 925-570-5711. You can reach me on my email at joe at D-I-T-L-N dot com. Or my website, Joe Caruso, C-A-R-U-S-O, online.com. I love it. Thank you so much, Joe, for being here today on this episode of The Women Your Mother Warned You About. My pleasure. I hope I get an invite back one day. Yeah, well, you know what? This is how this is how Jeb Blunt got on my show over and over again. Every time he writes a book, he comes on the show. So once that book is out, you're going to definitely have to come back for sure. Sounds excellent. That's awesome. Well. Hey, thanks again. And thanks to our listeners uh, for listening to this episode of The Women Your Mother Warns You About, brought to you by Sales Gravy. And hey, if you want to up-level your game and you want to be a better salesperson, go over to salesgravy.university. Check out our courses, including several that I have taught and am teaching, like Selling with Humor, coming out at the end of June. Again, salesgravy. University. And for more information about the show, check out womenyourmotherwarnedyourabout.com. Or you can also find me and Susanna, who I missed you. Sorry you weren't here today. You can check us out at salesgravy.com. All right, we're out of here, listeners. Thanks so much. Thanks, Joe. Bye. Bye.